Be seated. Miss Church. Well, good morning. It sure is good to see you. Thank you to the uh, Brotherhood Men's Choir this morning. Appreciate um, our praise team and instrumentalists as always. Uh, thankful for the opportunity to be led to praise the Lord through song, and always thankful to be able to open His Word together as well. If you have your, if you have a Bible with you, if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. If you don't. Uh, but you'd like one, we have some on, there's a bookshelf straight at the back of the uh, sanctuary, and there are some Bibles back there that you can uh, borrow. We would love for you to use one of those. If you need one, you can take it as well. Um, but I always pray that we can look at God's Word together as we study the Scriptures. This morning, we're continuing in our relationship series that we've been in for a little while now. We're getting towards the end of it. But today's particular text deals not only with relationships, but it deals very specifically with sin, and it treats sin as if it is a very, very serious matter. Uh, that's not a surprise, though, because Jesus always deals with sin as if it's a very serious matter, because it is. And so if you were with us last week, uh, we looked at, at Matthew 18, 18, 10 through 14, and in that we saw uh, Jesus calling us to not despise one another, to, to welcome, to receive one another, to value one another, to care for one another, to honor one another. This, that's the idea behind it. And he showed us, he gave us a parable that showed how he has done this for us. A very specific example is the, the parable of the lost sheep. And so we see this idea of there being a hundred sheep and one straying and him saying that, that he loves us enough that he came after us even when we were straying. And I told you last week that I believe that that was both a picture of what Jesus has done for us and a call for what he expects us to do for one another. Well, this morning you'll see one reason why in the context of this chapter I believe that, that, that he really takes that, that parable, and I think its application runs right into what we'll see this week. Uh, R.T. France, a, a scholar that I really like to read on the book of Matthew, he actually describes this week's text this way. He says, it's a practical guide to how a disciple can imitate his father's concern for the wandering sheep. So we saw a little while back, we saw the, the, the greatest commandment, that we should love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as ourself. And then we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable of the Good Samaritan told us how to love one another well. I believe that this today shows us how we can go after wandering sheep. And so that's what we're going to be looking at in Matthew chapter 18. Look with me. Let's begin by reading verse 15. And we'll talk about it a little bit. It says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If y'all would pray with me before we consider this this morning. Father God, what a wonderful opportunity to open, Lord, a book that we have here before us. But Lord, to be reminded that this is not some newly written book, Lord, these are not just words on a page, but these are your very words. The words of, of you here in human flesh as Jesus said these things and taught these things. Father, as all scripture is your word, Lord, help us to deal with it in the manner that it deserves. 
to recognize the weightiness of these teachings and to desire, Father, to understand them and to put them into practice. Lord, be with us here this morning. Help me to be clear as I teach this. Father, help everyone here to be not distracted by things inside or outside of this room, Lord, to have hearts that are ready and willing to understand your teaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so what we see here is, is Jesus talking about when we see another Christian sinning, what we're supposed to do. And, and he tells us, kind of in the same vein of the wandering sheep, that I see another Christian sinning, committing sin, doing something that I know is wrong, that I know the Bible teaches we should not do. Should I simply say, ah, oh well, no big deal. Doesn't pertain to me, that's them. Is that the way that I should deal with that? Kind of like the sheep when it wanders. Should I just simply say, too bad, I've got 99 more. And of course he tells us, no, that's not at all what he expects us to do. But he calls us to go to them and to help them see their fault. To go to them and to help point out the, the sin that they are in and to help call them to repentance. Now, as far as that goes, the calling is the command of Jesus here is pretty clear and plain. It's pretty straightforward, right? When you see them sinning, you go to them. But I, I, one thing that can be missed is sort of the nuance, the character with which we do this. And so I want to mention this because I don't think I could overstress this enough. That when we read this in its context and when we look at the idea of, of going to another Christian that we see sinning and helping confront it, that we must do it in the right way. We cannot do it in a spiteful way or a hateful way. We can't do it in a gloating way. We can't be thankful that this person is sinning because it makes us feel better about ourselves. But we should always do this practice of confronting other people's sin all the way through this text to the idea of church discipline. Every bit of it needs to be done with a heart of love, with a desire to see a sinner repenting of their sins. And that's what we see here in verse 15. It says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Gained your brother or sister is the intent here. This is what we want to see. We want to see Christian people recognizing their sin and turning away from that sin. We want to see a sheep that is wandering coming back into the fold. That's the picture that we see here. So it needs to be done in a serious manner because sin is serious. And it show, so it should be confronted seriously. But that seriousness needs to be tempered with humility and with hope and with love. We are doing this in the hope that it will lead our brother or sister back to a better place. We're doing this because we love them enough that we want to help them see that what they're doing is not what they need to be doing. And so the call is, we go to them. When we go to them, and I think we can miss this here because immediately whenever you begin verse 15, it says, if your brother sins against you, I don't think this is, is talking only about instances when somebody else has hurt us. We're going to see in the, the next, week's, next week's text, uh, 21 through the end of this chapter, we'll see about how we deal with somebody where they've hurt us and how we forgive them. But I think really the, the main thrust of this text is not about us getting recompense, but it's about us helping somebody in sin. 
to come out of that sin. And so we have to love them enough to do it. Point one is Christians should lovingly confront the sin of other Christians. Christians should lovingly confront the sin of other Christians. I know Jason's already thinking that's too long to be a good point. It's almost a paragraph. But here's the thing. I just want to be clear about what this text is saying. And this is what it's saying. And this is not something that's easy for us. This is something that's been difficult. I've been reading books on pastoral theology that go back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And this has been difficult in church life for hundreds of years. I read a guy who wrote in the 1600s to other pastors the other day. And he was, he was addressing this exact same issue. How it's neglected in the churches and how people don't want to do it. Because it's difficult. And even more so, I think, in the individualistic society that we live in today. Right? We live in a society that whether it's religion or not religion, whatever it is, it's you do you and I'll do me. Right? That may be okay for you, but you can't infringe your thoughts or your ideas on me. We hear a lot of, you can't judge me. Right? We hear a lot of, who am I to go and tell them something? Right? Who, who, I'm, just, I'm just, you know, Zach. Who am I to go and try and tell them what they are doing is not something that they should be doing? The idea, the, the title that I gave today's sermon, Am I My Brother's Keeper? Right? Don't, can't they handle that on their own? Why do they need me? Why should I do it? But here in this text, and we see it again in 1 Corinthians 5, and we see it in Galatians 6, 1, Christ reminds us that we as Christians are a communal people. We are given to one another. We share our lives with one another. We are given to be keepers and helpers and friends and siblings to each other. And so we have to go against what feels natural, because what feels natural here, it say, is, look, if they're in that sin, that's up to them. That's between them and God. That has nothing to do with me. That's what feels natural, and that's what feels comfortable, and that's what feels easy, but that's not what's biblical. What's biblical is when I see my brother or sister living in sin, doing something that I know they should not do, because the Bible is clear, not me judging their motives or thinking, I don't think they should probably do that, but when they're doing something that Scripture clearly says they should not do, that I should go to them and tell them. We see it in Galatians 6, 1, I mentioned that it's, uh, there at the beginning of that verse. Paul said, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him and a spirit of gentleness, right? You who are spiritual, you who are following the Lord, should go to them and help to restore them. An Old Testament text, Leviticus nineteen seventeen, and it won't be this way on the screen, but I have it from the CSB because I like the way that it said it. It says, Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly. And you will not incur guilt because of him. I don't want to spend too much time on that text. But it's, it's relating the idea that if we are unwilling to go and tell someone that is living in sin. That they're living in sin. That it's actually showing hatred to them. That it's actually sin on our part. And so I'll say it this way. If this helps anybody. If you see me doing something that I should not do. I expect you to come and tell me. If you see me, if you hear somebody saying that I'm doing something that I should not do, 
and you're not sure about it, come and ask me. Let's try and clear that up. If you see me neglecting to do something that you know I should do, if Scripture calls me to be this type of husband or this type of pastor or this type of father, and you see my life and see clearly that I'm neglecting that, I trust that you love me enough that you would come and tell me that. And I have that expectation of you. I ask that you would do that. Love me enough to tell me when I'm doing wrong. To me, this seems like the age-old dilemma, right? You see your friend walk out of the bathroom, and there's that trail of toilet paper stuck to the bottom of their shoe. Or you see your friend, and they've got something on their face, something in their teeth, and you think, should I tell them, or should I not? Because you think, well, if I tell them, it's kind of embarrassing that I'm bringing this up, and it's a little bit uncomfortable that I'm telling them. But you know what's more embarrassing? Walking around all day with something stuck in between your teeth and then getting home and realizing, right? Walking through work and meetings and all this stuff with something, some mark on your face and nobody ever told you. Brothers and sisters, how much more when it's sin? When you see a brother or sister doing something that is harmful to them, that is harmful to the reputation of Christ, that's harmful to their family, to simply say, I don't care about them enough to mention it. I'm just going to let it go. Christ says we cannot be those kind of people. There's something else that we see here specifically in verse 15 before we move on. Uh, That's the first idea is that when we see them sinning, we should confront it. But the second part of that that I want to make sure we don't miss is the first thing we're called to do is to confront it privately. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now, this is a part that sometimes, sometimes we do this, sometimes we deal with other people's sin, but we don't do it this way. What happens is I see so-and-so doing something they should not do, and then I go tell this person, and I go and tell this person, and I go and tell this person, and we're all talking about it, and eventually it gets back to them, but that's not the way that Christ says to go about it. He says, if you see me doing something I should not do, you come and tell me privately. Alone, just between the two of us. That's the, first, that's the first way that this goes about. This text, Matthew 18, 15 through 18, 15 through 17, is usually quoted. People say that's the text about church discipline. And it does teach about church discipline. And we'll see that in just a minute. And it gives us a template for how to do church discipline. But first and foremost, what verse 15 is about is about individual love and care for a brother or sister. If you see the children's bulletin today, the, the front of it, you think, what, what coloring page would Brother Zach find that would be fitting for church discipline, for dealing with sin? But all it says is lend a hand, and it's one young man reaching to pick up another young man who's fallen down, because I see this text as that. This isn't harshness. This isn't hatred. This is lending a hand to somebody that's in a place that they shouldn't be. And I love the way that that Jesus gives us this verse 15 is that he's very clear, right? You see it, you go tell him. You go tell them privately, just between the two of you, first of all. And then the last part of the verse gives this hope, this excitement about what might come from it. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. I have given this advice in counseling and in discussions to church members probably as much as any that I've given through the years. They come to me and they say, hey... This person's doing this, this person's doing that. I heard this, I've seen this, and my advice is always, 
or the question, have you talked to them about it? Have you gone to them and discussed this with them, just the two of you? And almost, I think, I cannot think of a single time that the person didn't come back to me and say, Brother Zach, I did that and it's so much better. I misunderstood what they were doing or I didn't see or they were doing wrong and now they've turned away from that. And I always say, it's, you know, it's, it's, almost like, it's almost like God knows what he's doing. But this is the advice. When you see it, you go. Don't make a public spectacle of it. Go and tell them. And if you do, there's a really good chance that you might gain your brother. Maybe they're doing this and they just haven't recognized that they're doing it. Right? Maybe they're neglecting it and they haven't recognized they're neglecting it. There have been times in my life that I've been in this place. I was doing something and it was something I shouldn't have been doing. And I knew it, but I'd kind of convinced myself, no, I think it's okay. I think most people would be okay with this. And I can think of one specific instance. A brother of mine called me and said, Zach, you shouldn't be doing that. And I said, I know. I know I shouldn't be doing that. But what I needed was for him to tell me. Because when he said it, all of a sudden, what I doubted the whole time became real. And there's a good chance that that happens. You go tell them, you know you're doing this. And, and this is where Scripture says you shouldn't do that. And they say, you know what, that's right. And they turn away from it. And so that's the first step, is that you go to them individually. So point two, Christians should privately confront the sin of other Christians. So Christians should lovingly confront the sin of other Christians, and they should privately confront the sin of other Christians. And this one's hard as well, because right in a day of social media, we see somebody doing wrong, the first thing we want to do is, is video it, and put it on TikTok or Snapchat, and let everybody else see what so-and-so is doing. We love that. We love to see what everybody else is doing wrong, try and put everybody else's business out there. But that's not what we're called to do in the church. All right, so then we see what happens if they don't, right? What if I go to this brother or sister? What if I go to him and say, hey, you're doing this. I love you. You don't need to be doing this. This is not good for you. This is not good for your heart. It's not good for your soul. And they say, I don't care. I'm going to keep doing it. Well, then we continue in the text. Verse 16 says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. All right, so the progression here is obvious. You go to him yourself. If that doesn't work, take two or three with you. If that doesn't work, tell larger group, right, the church. And if that doesn't work, then we have to take uh, more serious action. We, at that point, uh, if you take two or three, and why would that be helpful? You know what, maybe one of those two or three people, this person respects more than they respect you. Maybe they've known them longer. Maybe they say it in a way that you haven't. But we take that and we establish on the, the testimony of a few of us that this person is doing this and they're not listening. Then we tell it to the church. And now that that's not like, all right, that's not going back to the idea of, well, if they didn't listen to me and they don't listen to the three of us, now we can start gossiping about it. That's not what tell it to the church means. This means in a formal way. I've been reading the, the church minutes of Mount Zion Baptist Church, the handwritten minutes that we still have from the 1800s, and they did this all the time. 
Now, I'm not saying this like it's a great thing. I'm excited about it. But they did. They, would, they, would have a, they had a business meeting every time they had a church service because they only met once a month. So they would have church and then have a business meeting. And they would bring up. They would bring up, a, and this is always came up, they brought a charge against somebody for drunkenness or for dancing. They did bring up charges for dancing back then, for visiting an alcoholic saloon, for whatever these things were. They would bring up the charge, and they would, they would elect two or three people to go to that person and talk to them, come back next month. And they would come back. And there are times that you can read in there that so-and-so would come, and they would confess what they had done, and they would repent to the church, and they were restored to the body. What a beautiful thing that is. To think about brothers and sisters that might have continued to be alcoholics or might have continued to abuse somebody or might have continued to neglect their family or to do other things, giving it up because brothers and sisters love them enough to go and confront them about it. But if they did not, if they continued even when it was brought to the church in a formal way to not do it, to continue in the sin, then they were removed from membership of the church. And that's that last part. That's what it means whenever he says... Uh, let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, people that are outside of the body of Christ, is what Jesus is describing there. So point three, if Christians refuse to repent of sin, they should not be treated as Christians. So this doesn't mean, right, we put their picture up out front and we don't let them come in. No, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're welcome to be here this morning. We're thankful that you're here but there are certain things that we do here at Mount Zion that we would not allow you to do. You cannot teach. You cannot serve on committees. We wouldn't allow you. We wouldn't allow you to take communion or the other ordinance of baptism. Those are things that are held back just for the people of God. And those are the things that we do to make clear that we do not recognize you as a Christian brother or sister. Somebody that is continuing in sin, who is continuing to choose sin over God who is showing idolatry of whatever sin. They love that sin more than they love God. And so you might ask this question, why is that, brother? Why would we ever, aren't we trying to get the numbers up? Why would we ever remove somebody from membership? Right, somebody that wants to be a member of the church, why would we ever tell them, you are not a member anymore? Just because somebody is an alcoholic or addicted to some other type of drug, because somebody refuses to repent from an addiction to pornography or refuses to stop living a homosexual or other type of sexually immoral lifestyle, somebody that's abusing somebody, somebody that, that loves worldly things more than God, somebody that refuses to come and meet with the body and worship, somebody that is uh, divorcing their spouse for no grounds at all other than they just don't want to be married anymore. Why in the world would we ever tell somebody in that situation, you can't be a church member? Shouldn't we love people enough to let everybody be a church member? Those kind of questions come up. Well, I want to read to you a text. That's, it's a little lengthy text. If you would read it with me, it'll be on the screen. First John chapter 3, I think makes clear why. Beginning in verse 4, it says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, this is talking about Christ, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. 
Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning since the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And then in 1 Corinthians 6, it says this, Or or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, Christ tells us this over and over in the scripture. Sin is serious business. I'm not saying that if you sin one time, I don't believe the scriptures are saying that if you sin one time that you're out. But what we see is that if you are sinning in a pattern of sin, something that you're doing habitually, and you're confronted and shown the Bible says you should not do this, and your answer is, I don't care. I love this sin more than I love what that scripture says. I love the way that this thing makes me feel more than I love following Christ. Then what you are doing is showing through your actions that you're not a Christian. And if you show clearly that you're not a Christian, you can't be a member of Mount Zion Baptist Church. That's how that works. So the the whole process really makes sense. We don't do it to be mean. We do it to help you recognize your spiritual state. That's the whole process. Remember, all of this is done out of love and out of hope. Hope that if you are lost, that you'll recognize that. Hope that if you are saved, that we could help you to see your sin so that you would repent of your sin. Brothers and sisters, sin is such serious business that God left heaven to come here in order to get rid of it. He didn't leave it to anybody else And he couldn't leave it to anybody else because nobody and no thing else could ever get rid of sin. Jesus came himself to do it. He's the only one that could. And he did. He lived a perfect life. He overcame sin. Never gave in to temptation one single time. Defeated it. And then through his death and then his resurrection, he made it available that we could be overcomers of sin. That we could have his spirit and that we could be more powerful than sin. And so now if we're Christians, it's not that we won't ever sin, but it's when we recognize we're sinning, the Holy Spirit will convict us and we will repent and we will turn away and we will not continue to do those sort of things. So brothers and sisters, even though I know it sounds terribly impractical, so brother Zach, that's, that's for a long time ago. And it was for a long time ago, but it's for today as well. I read a book recently, and I've told some of you about this. And and in it, uh, Richard Baxter, a a pastor, he he confronts churches and pastors that don't lead their churches to take part in church discipline and, and and in confronting sin and other individuals. And he says in there, the exact excuses that I would give for it, well, the thing is our people aren't ready for that. Right, We give that so-and-so, I would go talk to them about their sin, but they wouldn't listen to me. They wouldn't deal well with me coming to them. 
We make all these excuses, but he said, but is it not the truth that really you don't want to deal with the heartache or the hatred that might come from you doing what you've been called to do? And then he goes on to say this, and if this is what Jesus Christ has prescribed for his church, is it not worth it? Brothers and sisters, it seems and sounds impractical, but it's needed. We need people to love us enough to tell us when we're going wrong. We need brothers and sisters that look at our life and they see when we're doing things we shouldn't or neglecting to do things we should, and we need them to tell us so that we can turn and do the things that we're called to do. This morning I'm going to invite you to stand, and I have a couple of questions for you to reflect on. My first one is, are you dealing with sin seriously in your own life? When you see it and when you recognize it and when you know you're doing something you shouldn't, do you treat it seriously? Because Christ says if your hand causes you to sin, then cut it off because it would be better to go into eternity with one hand than it would be to follow in sin and end up going to hell. Do you count sin seriously in your life? If you do, do you treat it seriously in the lives of your brothers and sisters? Do you love them enough that, that you hate to see them wandering, and you hate to see them lost, and you hate to see them in sin so much that you would go to them? That you recognize that you want their life to follow Christ so much that you would go to them? Do you treat it seriously in your life? Do you treat it seriously in other people's lives? And do you recognize how much Jesus loves us? That he came and he died in our place to get rid of the guilt of sin that we could never get rid of on our own. This morning, as you reflect on those questions, as you respond to this text, however it is that the Lord's calling you to, Brother Shane and the praise team are going to lead us as we sing again, His mercy is more.
His mercy is more Our sins they are many His mercy is more Our sins they are many His mercy is more 